I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Our guest tonight is using his top-level business experience and his spiritual calling as a deacon and secular Franciscan to help address one of the San Diego area's most pressing problems, homelessness. With roots in mental health issues, various addictions, and economic hardship, homelessness is a daunting challenge. But he meets it head on with a smile on his face, with the joy of the Lord in his heart, and he tries to help his neighbors realize their full potential. So please welcome our guest tonight, who is the president and CEO of Father Joe's Villages, Deacon Jim Vargas. Deacon, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure it's to be with great you, Father. to have you. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks yeah, for having yeah. me. We're glad that, you know, now California lets people come in and out and of the that's state. Right, you know? That's right. It's been for a while, finally. <laughs> it's really? good, though. It's good to be able to travel. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, you know, first of all, um, why are these villages named after Father Joe? Well, Father Joe Carroll, who passed last year, actually, at the age of 80, though he was, he's been retired, for, he had been retired for about 10 years prior to that. Mm -hmm. um, he came into the, into the organization in the early 80s. The organization had predated him, dates back to 1950, actually. Mm -hmm. But it had been a small organization, small shelter beds and, and uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, basically. Mm -hmm. And then he was given the mandate to really take care of those who are on the streets even more significantly. And so he came up with the comprehensive programs that we still utilize, actually. So mm -hmm. his legacy uh, lives on. So it's not just a matter of being able to provide just certain aspects of what will help those who are on the streets. It's having comprehensive programs anywhere from health or health care. We have a federally qualified health center, to a therapeutic child care center that helps the kids, an employment center so that people can gain marketable skills and then they can uh, find employment and then income, um, to shelters. I mean, we also develop affordable housing at the other end. So it's really across the board. We're blessed to be able to have such comprehensive programs so that anything that an individual needs who's mired and, and plagued with homelessness, uh, they, can get, they can get that assistance from us. We have a clip of Father Joe Carroll. Right. And it shows how driven he was, and he was to help his neighbors. And let's, let's take a look at that now. Sure. Hustler. I'm here to hustle you. I need to come up with four million dollars and I need to do it quickly. I'm the director of St. Vincent Paul Center. It's a program to help homelessness. Well, most priests hate to ask for money. I love it. You can't do a blessed thing without money. You can't help people. You can't build things. You can't make things happen without it. I started 30 something years ago when the bishop called me in. I was in his office on some other work and he said, tomorrow morning you're a new head of St. Vincent de Paul, and then after we had a little debate about it, I finally said, why'd you choose me? He asked nine other priests who the biggest wheeler dealer hustle in the diocese was, and I was the only name on the list, so he wanted a hustler, and a hustler is someone who sees a problem, which we call homelessness, comes up with a solution, which we call villages, but most important of all, it gets you and everybody else to pay for it. That's the name of the game. 
We have such a wide variety of people in need, from the mentally ill to people that just need a temporary job. We have drug addicts, we have alcoholics, and we work with them all. And we succeed, that's the key. That's why I'm so proud now. For everywhere I go, I run into a success story. Every day, wherever I happen to be, I meet somebody who's a graduate. I'm in Ralph's and somebody walk over and say, I graduated St. Vinny's in 88. I graduated St. Vinny's in 90. The fact that they're proud they went to a homeless shelter and the fact that they're successful makes me say, okay, I'm gonna work a little bit harder tomorrow to make money to help the next person. Be a neighbor. I don't deal with homeless people. I deal with neighbors who happen to be homeless. I don't deal with drug addicts. I deal with neighbors who happen to be drug addicts. As long as I think of them as neighbors, that's the key ingredient. Then I want to help them because they're my neighbor. When we think they're strangers, we're distant, we're removed. That's a danger. My job is to get you to see them as neighbors and then do something for them. Now, just listening to him, um, he doesn't seem to have much of a San Diego accent. That's true. <laughs> and he had been in San Diego for many years. Yeah. Um, he, he was a New Yorker. He, I he, thought so. <laughs> he grew up in the South Bronx, and actually he and I grew up, I grew up in the South Bronx as well. We grew up within two blocks of one another, but he was 15 years my senior, so we didn't know mm. one another at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was actually, he was, it was a very Irish neighborhood when he lived there. And then the Puerto Ricans, I'm Puerto Rican. Then the Puerto Ricans started moving in because the Irish were, uh, were moving up in a sense, and sure. so that's when, when I lived there. You know, one of the things he mentioned, he mentioned uh, coming across individuals who were graduates of Father Joe's Villages, right? And that was always very, um, he was also very, always very ingratiated by that. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you a quick story. While well, he was in the hospital last year, he turned to me, he smiled, and he said, you know, um, the food here is good. And people don't normally say that about hospital food, right. but there was a reason he was saying it. He was saying it with a twinkle in his eye. He said, and that's because the graduate of the cafeteria that's managing the, the food services is a graduate of Father Joe's Villages. Ah. Uh, so he took a lot of pride in that. So he was saying the food was good. <laughs> well, you know, he reminds me of so many of the uh, administrators I've known and teachers at various Jesuit schools where I've taught and others as well. You know, they're very proud of the graduates, you know, when they do well. And it's the same kind of, you know, fatherly pride in the, the, these folks who do well. That's, that's what a dad wants for his children. Right. And he sounds like he was really a, an unapologetic spiritual father to a lot of people. Absolutely, he absolutely was. And you do take a lot of pride. I know when we have our, our graduate programs, when the, when the graduations, I should say, people who have gone through the various vocational training and I hand out the certificates Right, mm -hmm. and I see individuals who had just months prior to that, they had just come into Father Joe's villages, and they they were downcast. They would hardly look at you. There were no smiles, and now I see them sitting there, and they're sitting up proudly, and mm -hmm. they're smiling, right, and and they're getting their certificate because they've completed a vocational training, and now they can go on to to find employment, and the difference in them, and they're so thankful for what we've been able to do for them, and I tell them, yeah, don't thank me. You know, we've provided the resources but you've done the work and I'm yeah. so proud of you that you've, you've lifted yourself up and you've done the work and now you're gonna go forward and you take pride in that. See, this is a very important element that gets at uh, a very central uh, concern of humanity that we want to have 
meaningful work where we are contributing to society and we're getting a just wage. Right. You know, you don't want to just most people don't want to do it for free, a few of us. But right. <laughs> right. but but most most people want to get a just wage, but they also want to do a just day's work. Right. And that raises their dignity. It does raise their dignity. And it, and it makes them truly members of the society, right? And, yes. and as Father Joe always called them, neighbors, right? So they're no, they're no longer neighbors. They're, they're no longer homeless, I should say. They're people who are your neighbors who now live in, 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 your, in your vicinity, in your community, right? And are making, are making a contribution. Yeah. yeah, this, you know, normally we think of um, the St. Vincent de Paul as having clothes and other necessities and an emergency for the poor. But uh, this is something else. This is a place where people can live. Is that correct? That's correct. Anywhere from shelters all the way up to, as I mentioned, affordable housing, we develop affordable housing, so we build them. I mean, I'll tell you about a recent just construction that we just finished that, that we cut the ribbon on, uh, on February, the beginning of February, actually. Mm -hmm. and it took five years far too long, but that's the story of how long it takes to build housing in, in, in San Diego. But, but um, we just got the Why ribbon. is that? There are various reasons. That uh, permitting, regulatory, bureaucracy, frankly. <laughs> um, that won't surprise you, I'm sure. But, but you have to, you know, at the beginning when we started embarking on this particular building, we, we you know, people were saying to me, Deacon, you need to focus on the immediacy. You need to focus on, on shelter beds. And getting people off the streets and and absolutely we need to take people off the streets in the immediacy start working with them in safe environment and in a healthy environment right so we have they can have showers they can have um, meals we serve over a million meals a year and so they can have basics but you know what if you don't provide the homes at the other end then it's always going to be a vicious circle a shelter is not a home right it's not a home and so you have to work on both as frustrating as it can be and costly to build housing. So we embarked on, on, on what we call the turning the key. We made a commitment that we would build out 2,000 affordable housing units through new construction and also the acquisition and refurbishment of motels. And so this particular building that we, on which we cut the ribbon earlier in February, it's a 14-story, 407-home facility, the largest of its kind ever, Father in San Diego County, and I give God the glory, of course, mm -hmm. and takes over 550 people off the streets. And so that is, you know, we, we, that, that's a home. That's yeah. what breaks the cycle of homelessness. Um, yeah, they're showing some uh, photos of it. it it's, it's a nice looking facility. It is, and it's very intentionally designed. It's a beautiful building to look at, but, and, and it complements the community. Because again, we wanted to complement the community, and it also is in, it's in keeping with the dignity of those who, who reside there. So it has a lot of community space. These individuals, believe it or not, who are on the streets have a sense of community. And when you uproot them from, from, from the streets, especially if they've been chronically on the streets, and you put them within four walls, they can go stir crazy. So there's community room. There's a community room on each and every single level, and there are case managers who have activities uh, throughout the day. Um, from budgeting classes to cooking classes to whatever it is that helps these individuals build a sense of community. We have five different gardens within the building itself, the outside, outside terraces. One is a, a produce garden where they can grow produce. Another one, with their pet relief areas, but there's also a playground for the kids. 
right? And so it's just, it's, 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 a, it's really a marvelous place. There's a fitness center. Um, there, uh, there's a big garden uh, on, off of the third level, which is the biggest of the gardens, and people can then have barbecues there, right? And, and um, can have a Super Bowl, Super Bowl uh, party, in a sense, mm -hmm. because of the big screens and, and spill out into the garden. So it's, this is their home. And, and most of the units are studio apartments, but we also have about 24 one-bedrooms and 26 two-bedrooms, so it accommodates families as well. 80 units are designated for veterans. You know, getting, breaking the cycle of homelessness for the veterans is extremely important. Exactly, because, uh, you know, that's one of the things I want to get into is, you know, how big an issue homelessness is for veterans who come back with a lot of trauma. Right. Not only physical, sometimes physical trauma, sure, too, sure. but there's also a very strong emotional trauma. War is not fun and games. War is really, really vicious. Right. And this, this is something hard. Um, and so a lot of veterans are on our streets. You know, we, we um, have other organizations working for them, but that sounds like you're also dealing with them down there in San Diego. We do, I mean, PTSD is an example. Yeah. And so our health clinic works on the behavioral uh, health clinic within our health center uh, works with, with individuals who, who have PTSD as an example, have mental health challenges, have mm -hmm. substance use disorder issues as well. I mean, so there's a treatment center there also that it helps them, whether you're a veteran or not. I mean, so we, I mean, there are a lot of people who are on the streets who who have mental health challenges, who have substance use disorder mm -hmm. as well, and sometimes the combination of the two, which keeps them in their homelessness, right? So it's, it's helping them to break that cycle, which is challenging. You know, a lot of them, because of their past traumas, are not trusting, and you have to build relationship. And so outreaching to them, meeting them where they are, is extremely important. If you sit back and think, well, here, I have what they need, let them come to me. All right, well, that doesn't always work, right? So you have to really go out to where they are and, and administer them in a sense. I mean, whether it's on the health side or, or, or otherwise. Um, so it's, it's, all these, it's all these challenges. 270 of the, of the homes within, within our new building. And by the way, the new building is called St. Teresa of Calcutta Villa. Oh, nice. Uh, which nice. is great, isn't it? it, I, yeah. I, didn't, it I didn't come up with the saint's name or the naming of the building, actually, the philanthropic portion of the building. Um, someone by the name of Terry Castor, who's a great philanthropist in, in San Diego, Catholic philanthropist. Um, he knew Mother Teresa, and he worked with her, and he, he wanted named after her nice. instead of his family. So what, how I propose that, right? To, we take people off the streets. That's what Mother Teresa used to do as well, so yeah. I love that name. We have a beautiful bronze statue, life-size life statue of her in the lobby of the building, actually. Nice. So, I mean, so, but there, 270 of the units there um, are designated for uh, called permanent supportive housing, and therefore people who have some level of disability, um, whether it's physical, emotional, uh, mental disability, uh, mental health challenges, or substance use disorder, and so those individuals get even more care um, because of the nature of their of, of their issues. Uh, but that's what that's what helps individuals retain their their homes long term. I mean, it's not a matter of just just you know, putting them into housing. The comprehensive services is what helps them retain their housing. 96% uh, of those who we help into permanent housing retain their housing long term. And that's an important element. We don't 96%. 96%. We don't want people to go back on the street. Right. I mean, so 
Um, it takes it takes a, a lot of effort, obviously. I have a great team of people in the organization. You know, I used to go out to San Diego quite a bit, uh, especially in the 80s and early 90s, when um, uh, my grandparents lived out there, they'd retired out there, and my father had later on moved out there, and one of my aunts was in San Diego. And I was, you know, just so impressed every visit with what a stunningly beautiful city it is. Mm -hmm. And I would think to myself, wow, if I were ever to retire, this is a great place to go. I mean, it's just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. But San Diego, which is now the fourth largest city in the country, has the second highest homelessness problem. Along in other cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, especially San Francisco is such a beautiful city, but you have this great wealth, and they're very beautiful and wealthy cities, and then very large populations of homelessness. What's going on? There are a few things at play. And you're right, uh, San Diego has the second largest veterans homeless population. It has the seventh largest overall homeless population um, in, in the nation. And, and a lot of it um, has to do with economics. It's extremely expensive to live in San Diego. The average rent for an apartment is almost $3,000, anywhere between $2,600 and $3,000. $3,000? For the average rent rental. And that, and you couple that, Father, with the fact that the vacancy rate is at about 3.2%. With that vacancy rate, what it means is that no sooner does an apartment come on the market, but it gets scooped up. In fact, typically, they're bidding wars on the apartments. And so the, the, it's toxic, that combination of low va vacancy rate as well as high rents for our population. And that's why building out affordable housing is so extremely important, mm -hmm. so that then you make it reachable for individuals. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so economics yeah. is a big part of life. And, why. of course, it, you know, San Diego has a very large uh, marine base, na huge right. naval base. Right. There's naval air station. <clears throat> you know, out in that area. So there's a uh, and then Camp Pendleton, the Marine right. uh, uh, base, is just north of the county. So uh, th there's a lot of military in the area who see the beauty and want to stay. Right. But then fall in hard times. That's right. That's why we have the second largest veterans homeless population, because yeah. of that very reason, mm -hmm. after L.A. Because they're there, they're, they're serving, they stay, but then they have the issues. Right, one thing leads to another, and then a good number of them fall onto onto the streets. The this whole pandemic situation has exacerbated the situation, as you can imagine. Sure, right. Sure. I mean, just uh, the people, more individuals. I'm concerned that the number of those on the streets actually will swell. Um, and and the CDC guidelines actually that were given out was that if you have those uh, individual tents on the streets, that you should not disturb them because that can just spread the contagion. And so as a result, now there's a proliferation of these tents out in various communities on the yeah. streets, right? And so, um, In yeah. San Diego in as San well? Diego. Yeah. In San Diego, yeah. I know, I've seen pictures of the tents in Seattle and 
um, uh, other cities, San Francisco, Los, Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a, not a good situation. No, not because at all. Because sanitation is one big problem, mm -hmm. right? There are no, not that many bathrooms available to these folks. That's exactly right. I mean, there aren't enough public restrooms. And, and um, we provide, in fact, that at Father Joe's Villages, we provide some public restrooms, actually, for those who are, who are on the streets themselves, but not enough public restrooms. So you're absolutely right. And, and there's, I mean, think about the indignity of individuals who have to go to the bathroom on the street because they have no alternative. I mean, I know as I'm getting older, just at night, the number of times I get up at night to go yeah. to the bathroom, right? But I have the, the blessing to be able to have a bathroom. Yeah. And so the indignity of the, of the individuals, and it's not good for the community either. I mean, the community of businesses and the community of residents, right, where they live and where they work, um, and, and, and that that is occurring. And so that's why we, that a lot more focus has to be given on, um, to this problem, and not just in San Diego. I mean, across the United States, 580,000 are suffering from homelessness. 580,000, and 40% of them are unsheltered, yeah. totally. I mean, yeah. the others are, have some level of shelter, but 40% have, have, uh, don't have shelter at all. I mean, that's a, in a great country like ours, that's a travesty. But it's also a common, it results from a variety of factors. Like you mentioned, in some of our larger cities, the prices are just spiking up and have been going up, and you can't afford to live there. Right. Another problem, and then with the military coming, having PTSD, but there's also a lot of people who have various mental issues, <coughs> mental health issues, who used to be sheltered in residential situations, and they're not, those are closed down. Right. So you have that, plus the very large drug abuse situation, which is uh, all of that contributes to it. Is that not? That is the case. And in, and in fact, and it's, a, and it's a great point, and, and, and San Diego, and I think this is the case in a lot of other major cities, uh, it's not doing as good a job, frankly, as it needs to, as it relates to those who have these behavioral health challenges. Mm -hmm. And I say that because the shelters are not built with the resources that are necessary to really address that. <coughs> and so that's something, there's more and more focus being given to that um, in San Diego. I mean, we as a homeless services provider, we advocate, advocate for that and work with the county officials and the city officials um, in that regard, because we see it firsthand that, yes, we may go out into the street. I mean, we started street health, by the way, as an example, the year before COVID, we fathered Joe's Villages mm -hmm. and had never been done before. And that's because we know that about 30% of those who are on the streets will not access healthcare in a traditional way in brick and mortar. Right. So you have to go out to them. So we have uh, vans that go out with clinicians to bind wounds, to um, fill prescriptions, as an example, to monitor people, to get to know them, start building relationship, to draw them in, not only for healthcare, but for other services. Um, this year, we've now uh, are sending out psychiatric clinicians as well, mm -hmm. because of this very, this very issue that you raised, the behavioral health. That's all well and good, but now what do we do with them once we start interacting with them, when we start building that relationship so that they come in? Right? Mm -hmm. We need the shelters that are very, that need to be conducive 
to really working with them in their, in their situations. And in San Diego, that's a challenge for us as a community. We don't have enough of those shelters. So we, we've been advocating more and more for that. And the county, the county is giving more attention to it now as the city is as well. And um, I'm hopeful and I'm very optimistic that that will be some type of system will be built out to be able to come to help those individuals. Because right now to your, to your point, um, the mental institutions of yesteryear are, are no longer available, mm -hmm. right? So we need, to, we need to do that. And the affordable housing that I mentioned before, one of the reasons it's so necessary is because the system itself is clogged, the ecosystem is clogged. There aren't enough shelter beds. So you can't alleviate the shelter beds because there isn't enough affordable housing. So people remain on the street. So that's why building out the housing, well, you'll be able to take people off, out of the shelter beds into, their, into homes and be able to accommodate other people off the streets, right? In order to really fix that, that system, which is, which is not, hasn't been functioning well. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's uh, the, it's complex. It's complex farther because we're dealing with human beings and human beings are complex, right? They are we indeed. Are. We are. And, and, and one of the things too I want to make clear, it's not that I'm saying that uh, the old time mental institutions were a wonderful place. They right. weren't. Right. They were right. very difficult places. Right. Uh, and they were overwhelmed. And they didn't always have staffing and money and things like that. You know, it, it's just, just didn't. And so they weren't wonderful, but closing them has not made a paradise either for the mentally ill. You know, that they have a whole new set of problems, um, including, you know, by living outside, you, of course, you're going to have more health issues. You're exposed to the elements and you don't have sanitation, yeah. don't have showers. That makes for a big health issue. You're right. Well, the institutions were closed, but then no provisions were made. Right. I mean, and, and so, again, we built ourselves into this mess in a sense, and, and, and we really haven't addressed it as, as communities, and, and it needs to be addressed because it's gotten worse over time. Of course, yeah. we know now the, the drug situation, fentanyl is out there. The yes. opioid situation that we've had is wreaking havoc amongst those who are, who are homeless. I can't tell you the number of times on a weekly basis my, certain of my team members, whether they're on the security force or, or an outreach workers who administer Narcon in order to literally bring what, people what back. What is Narcon? Narcon actually, it's, a, it's, an, it's when someone is overdosing, it reverses that overdose effect and it has to be administered as quickly as possible, obviously, and, and so it's injected. And literally people are brought back to life from, from these, uh, from these uh, overdoses. Um, of course, some people are lost, um, but some it's a hundred thousand people a year mm -hmm. are lost. This is twice the number of people who died in all of the Vietnam War. It was 55,000 died in the Vietnam War. And here we have annually a hundred thousand are dying. This fentanyl is oftentimes manufactured in China sent to Mexico, mixed with marijuana right. and other drugs. And the, the ones mixing it don't have a pharmacist degree. Right. Right. These, are, these are careless, uncaring people. Right. And oftentimes vicious people who don't care who dies. They just want you to buy their product, right. get a little extra high, and then if you die, that's not my problem. 
Though they so, lose customers that way, though. They do, <laughs> but they sense. seem to have plenty. Yeah, but they have plenty. That's exactly right. No, you're right, and it only takes a small amount of this fentanyl. It's very, I mean, I, I read recently that the, the, a couple of individuals had, had, had ingested fentanyl. They were overdosing, basically, and, and a, a couple more came to help them, and in administering mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, they were overcome, actually, by the fentanyl as well. I mean, so, I mean, it shows you how deadly this, this drug is. And mm -hmm. so, and it's, we talk about epidemics, that's at epidemic proportions. It is. Think about it. I it mean, so. 100,000 a year? That's, that's a very, very large number, right. an awful way to die. Right. Um, this uh, is uh, something that I, I like what you're doing so much because uh, you said earlier, that San Diego government has not been doing so well, you know, just having shelters, but you have this complete program of physical health, mental health, job training, psycho, you know, psychological uh, counselors, and shelters and some home ownership, all this range of, uh, and that's something that I don't sense from not just San Diego, many of our government agencies. They keep people in their system, but they don't let many graduate from uh, welfare and a lot of other uh, government programs. Right. Well, in the government, as it relates to homelessness, most of the municipalities, I mean, they don't run these programs themselves, but they fund programs like Father mm -hmm. Joe's Villages in order to be able to run them. Um, but it's a matter of uh, really advocating so that these municipalities fund the programs that are truly working and are making a difference and are effective. Mm -hmm. And also when it comes, as, as I mentioned, when it comes to behavioral health, to have a greater focus on behavioral health because it's really wreaking havoc out there um, in, in, in the communities, not just San Diego, oh, in the yeah. communities at large. So we work very closely and we collaborate actually with, with, the, um, with the county governments and the, the state as well as the, as well as the uh, federal as well. Um, and most of our funding, I have to tell you, most of our funding, Father, comes not from public funding, comes from your viewers as an example. You know, yeah. people who realize that the work that we're doing is absolutely critical and that it's effective in making a difference in people's lives and, um, and then generously help us in, 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 in the work that we do. And, and like Catholic schools, which save the government a lot of money and are financed by you know, private individuals, parents and, and other donors, alumni and such, you know, have that going and saves the government huge amounts of money. So also you are saving a lot of money for San Diego and their emergency services that, right. you know, and, uh, and other groups doing this for the homeless are in the same way. We have to take a little break okay. when we come to that point. Uh, but I want you to uh, know uh, a little bit more about Father Joe's Villages. They do have uh, availability on the internet. You can go to my, M-Y, period, neighbor, period, org. So my.neighbor.org. And you can find out more about uh, Father Joe's villages there. We'll take a break. 
We'll come back in a couple of minutes with your questions and comments, so please stay with us. Welcome back, and we are with Deacon Jim Vargas talking about Father Joe's villages for the homeless and the folks who are on the way to being homed, you know, that they, they'll have uh, their own homes in uh, many cases. So let's start off with a call. We have William. William, where are you calling from? Hey, William. Father Mitch. I'm calling from Milwaukee, and I can relate to you a little bit because I think you are Jesuit, right? Yes, I am. Well, I don't know if you're familiar, but I attended Marquette University High School on 35th in Wisconsin. Oh, sure, of course, of course. And that really had an influence in my life. I've lived homeless myself, but it's just a one-day-at-a-time thing. I'm a writer as well as a poet. I've written a book about God, but I've also written a book about addiction because that's been part of my past. Mm -hmm. But I'm now four years clean of cocaine. That's great. I've never. I know you. you guys God were bless speaking. You. That's great. I, I know you guys were speaking about the Narcan. I've never touched heroin, but I even consider it a blessing that cocaine was part of my past because now I know how to reach out to a different demographic. Mm -hmm. I work sure. regular. I've been working. I've been working regularly with the poor. You're not supposed to say what you're going to do, but I've been working regularly with the poor, but without a lot of financial means. And I've stayed at the very same mission that the poor the poor stay at. So I feel like I can relate to them. Sure. But I was just, you know, I was just kind of wondering what you guys think about that. And I, you know, I like to give gifts and sometimes a little bit of money because you know what? I've been homeless. And I've never really cared for the kind of the kind of type that says, "Oh, I'll take you to the open pantry, and I'll buy you a sandwich, but I'm not going to give you any money." But I know when you're homeless, a little money in the pocket. You know, Ecclesiastes says a little surplus helps out the self-esteem. <laughs> so, I read the Bible cover to cover. Good. I've worked a lot of hard jobs, but you know, for anybody listening out there. Um, and I always tell them, you know, I like the name, I like the name Yahweh because that, it reminds me of being 12. But, you know, it also says, if you look up Yahweh in the dictionary, it says a name for God. Mm -hmm. But if you look yeah. up Jehovah, well, it says well, the name for God. But I like, but just if you could humor me, I'll give you a sample. Well, I actually, I got to go on because I have some more calls coming in. So let me uh, get uh, to, you know, what you were talking about there in terms of, um, you know, how do you help, you know, folks who are on the street? You know, do you get them a sandwich? Do you get them uh, some cash? Um, what, what do you recommend that is the best way? Okay, that's a good question, William. In fact, I'm asked that question quite often. 
And I recommend that you not give cash. Um, I recommend that mm -hmm. you could, actually, if you want to give cash, that you give that cash to a local homeless services provider. The reason I say that is because they're equipped to work with these individuals and not only to provide one meal for them, but to start interacting with them. And so if you direct them to the homeless, nearest homeless services provider, they have the means to be able to provide not only that one meal, but start working with them on, on getting them off the streets on a permanent basis, mm -hmm. right? So that's what I recommend. Now that said, I know it tugs at our, heart, at our hearts because of sure. who we are. And so if you, if you can't w walk away from that person and just direct them to the nearest homeless services provider, then invite them maybe into the, the nearest local store and buy them you know, a sandwich or whatever it is, um, instead of just giving them the cash. And I say that because a lot of people, unfortunately, instead of using the cash for food, they'll use it for other things that really don't help them. Yeah. And so um, that's and, my recommendation. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is very often the poor want high salt, high sugar, high calorie intake that's empty calories. They, they don't often seek you know, food that's going to be, you know, protein and other more nourish and vitamin-rich uh, foods. They, they're not good at that. Which is an excellent point, which is why we find that there's a lot of malnutrition yes. in those who are homeless exactly. and those who are suffering from diabetes or high blood pressure. Yep. So that's another reason. Yep. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We have another caller. Joan, where are you calling from? Hi, Father Pacwa. Um, I'm calling from New York. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and what is your question? Happy, first of all, happy um, St. Patrick's Day and happy St. Joseph in advance. Oh, thank you, thank you. And St. Hugh's son, there's just that little bit of an Irish lilt going on there. You know, I'm uh, here for so many years, I still haven't lost it. But anyway, thank, thank God, I guess that's, that's so, grace in itself. But I just wanted to um, say to Deacon Vargas, what is going on in New York is terrible. Like, you know, is there any chance you could come here and help us with the homeless situation? And um, also, um, I was just wondering, everything is fine with the mental health, with the homeless people and stuff like that, and give them a pill, you know, but, you know, they really need um, a spiritual side as well. And I was just wondering, uh, is there any, yeah. is, do you do anything for healing and deliverance? Because a lot of um, the homeless people are getting more aggressive. And I don't know if you've seen a patron, but I've been here since 1980. And, um, you know, the homeless people are getting more agitated. And I don't think a pill is just going to do it anymore, to be honest with you. I think they need a spiritual side. And I think they need a good group of exorcist priests to come in and do a lot of healing and deliverance. All with, right. Uh, well, thanks, John. In, here in New York. Yeah, I, th I think that, that that's something we meant to talk, we talked earlier today, the spiritual component is part of what Father Joe's Villages does, is it not? It is, and it's very important. So, Joan, thank you for that question. The, the, um, and it's not forced on individuals, um, for yeah, sure. Yeah. That's not what we do. Right. Um, but it, it's made available. In fact, I have a, a full-time chaplain there, and, and that's an important element of what we do, the chaplaincy program. Um, he's a brother deacon of mine, actually, mm -hmm. great guy. Um, and a lot of, there's a lot of brokenness in, in, in those who we serve. And so that, that's made available to them. And a lot of people tell me actually who've gone through our programs, they said, you know, thank you for the food, thank you for the shelter, but I have to tell you the, the help that I've received from the chaplaincy program has been life-saving. 
and just shows you how, to Joan's point, there's, there's a lot that goes going on there. There's a lot of abuse and trauma that people have experienced, and as a result, there's a lot of um, hatred and anger, and yeah. people have to work through that, and that's hard. That's really hard. That's certainly part of what goes on in PTSD, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for many veterans, that, you know, they have um, gone through uh, experiences of people trying to kill them. And their own feelings are, you know, of how do I deal with their anger and hatred? Right. This is very, very right. uh, difficult. And that's a spiritual issue. And they need the meaning of life to come from God our Lord. Right. Because drugs can't do it. That's exactly right. And that's where the chaplaincy comes in. And so it's very astute of Joan to, to, to mention that. Yeah. yeah. But her other question was, uh, uh, that was a comment, but her question was about what are the uh, ideas or possibilities of duplicating this kind of program in other cities? Is that going on or? Well, I would love that because I'm always, I'm always thinking big, right? And right. especially coming from New York, um, and I, I, spend, I do spend time there throughout, throughout the year as well. I'm on vacation when I visit my family, but mm -hmm. still back, back there. Um, I'd love to, to do just that. We have such a big enough and challenging um, problem you know, that we, with which we're dealing in San Diego itself. Mm -hmm. And so right now the focus is San Diego. Uh, but I'm hoping you never know. You never know where God is going to take us. I mean, just mm -hmm. think of Mother Angelica here, right? And how yeah. she started and where it is now, right? Yeah. And so when you, when you have a vision and, and, and you let God do the work and lead it, um, you know, I would love to see the model that we have of Father Joe's Village is replicated elsewhere because it, it, it has proven to be so effective and successful. Yeah. No, no, I think that that's right. And, and I think we have to keep in mind that uh, there are a wide variety of people working with the homeless. Sometimes they have only a spiritual mission. They want to save souls. Mm -hmm. Other times they're only dealing with economic issues. And they, you know, only want to take care of uh, a bed at night and some food and, you know, get in the shower and things. And it's not an issue of either the physical needs or the spiritual needs only. It's, that's why we have spiritual works of mercy and corporal works of mercy as part of our church. Right. And we have to deal with both sides of the issue. That's right. We have to, that's right. They have to go hand in hand. I mean, I like to think that the, without even mentioning our Lord and without mentioning Jesus or proselytizing, I like to think that I'm, I, I'm, I'm drawing people to Christ, right? By just by, by the compassion that they're being shown by what we do for them um, and, and help them. Mm -hmm. um, think about Christ himself in the gospels time and time again. We saw him work with their physical maladies, with their physical needs, whether it was blindness, whether it was hunger or leprosy, whatever, or being possessed by demons. He worked with that, but at the end of the day, what was he doing? He was drawing them to his heavenly father, right? That was his mission. 
Uh, his mission wasn't to come down and, uh, and, and heal them physically, right? His mission was to, 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 to draw them spiritually and into relationship with his heavenly father. Sure. And so I like to think that that's exactly what happens at Father Joe's Villages. I mean, we're dealing with their temporal needs, um, their bodily needs, um, but in the process, right? Just because of the way we do the work, um, and especially the way I, I, I like to think, the way I, I, I minister uh, as a deacon, right? That 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 is also drawing them uh, to Christ as well in 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 the process, and without necessarily even mentioning Jesus, right? And I think that you know when you see our Lord's mission. In the case of the paralytic that was let down through the roof at Peter's house, he began with "Your sins are forgiven," and then heals him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in the case of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, first he heals him Mm -hmm. and then says, go and sin no more. So it's not even one approach. You have to have a sense of discernment. Right. Some people start off spiritual and then go physical. Absolutely. Other people start off physical and then go spiritual. That's exactly right. This, you got to be... Constantly alert. It's you meet them where they are. Yep, that's exactly right. You meet them where they are, and then you you minister them to where they are. So you're right. A lot, a lot of times is a lot of times you can speak to them about the spiritual. You can speak to them about 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 Christ and the love of the love that Christ has for for the individual, and and and, and in that way draw them in. And, and and frankly, what you need to do is be responsive to them. They people will let you know where they are in a sense just by sure. their actions. By their words, right? And some of them are craving that spiritual aspect right off the bat. And that's great because then that's where you start, to your yeah. point. And others just need a sandwich, right? Yeah. And you need to satisfy their bellies in a sense before you can proceed to the rest. And so right. that's exactly right. Yeah, this is a very important, uh, not only balance, it's not just only about balance, it's also discernment of what's going on and being canny because um, another problem I, I, I worked over in uh, what we used to call Skid Row in Chicago mm. back when I was mm. a young priest and the, you know sometimes these guys are up to something now maybe that was Chicago I don't know maybe they're nicer in San Diego <laughs> but they're, they're up to stuff too right, they're, right. they're trying to scam you mm-hmm. you know sometimes that's how they got to live on the street to hustle mm-hmm. uh, and other times they're just hope, you know, helpless right. you know, and hopeless you know, they don't have anything to look forward to you got to discern that too yeah, that's that's true too. I mean, a lot of them. I mean, I think a lot of times what we're doing is we're reinstilling hope in the individuals. When you say hopeless, mm-hmm. I mean they come to us and they've lost all hope. Yeah. All right, for various reasons. Again, uh, just traumas in their lives, and and a lot of it's just reinstilling that hope, and their and and the potential that they have uh, within them, right? Drawing out that potential, uh, because again, we provide the resources uh, as I mentioned before, but they have to do the work. Yeah. And they have to want. To, to lift themselves up. Um, but that's an, that's an important element as well. Yeah. yeah. We have another caller. Hello, Don? Yes. Hi, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Great. And what is your question or comment? Okay. Uh, Father Mitch, 
I um, uh, I wanted to be a Jesuit too at one time, and uh, I'm sorry it never happened. But my question is this: is I was an addict, a heroin addict, and an opiate um, painkiller addict, and I was wondering what are the theologic ramifications of things like Narcan or even um, CPR or uh, or um, you know those 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 things that bring you back. I mean, it's God, right, and the Holy Spirit. That is the controllers of life and death. Mm -hmm. So why are we meddling with this? Okay. Okay. Um, that's a good question as well. And I've forgotten your name. The caller's name is Don. Don. So Don, thank you. Um, you know, the as far as meddling with death, the reality is that if God wants you, He's going to have you, right? If it's your time. Um, and so there's certain individuals who are not brought back, but I think God also gives us the ability through medication, through the expertise of individuals, through doctors, as an example, mm -hmm. and, and, and other personnel, to be able to use what we have in order to help individuals to be able to live and live to their fullest. And that's what God wants of us as well. So in the situations where we are, being, being, are able to reverse the effects of the overdose and bring people back, then, hey, I, we, I believe that that is what God wants for that individual. It gives an individual an extra chance to grow closer to Him. And that's what it's all about. It gives the individual an, an, an extra opportunity to give God the glory. Because I think, Father, we're here, and Don, we're here to give God the glory at the end of the day. I mean, that's why we exist. And so um, that's, a, that's how I view that. I don't know. What do you think? I th could also take that logic and say if somebody falls off a cl cliff and they're stuck on a ledge, they're still alive on the ledge, I should leave it up to God to see, well, if they fall off or not. No, no. I'm going to look for a rope and send them a lifeline. And Narcan is another kind of lifeline. You have to keep in mind that death is God's enemy. Satan is called by Christ in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 8, a liar, the father of lies, and a murderer. And the drugs are murderous tools that take lives too short. This is not God's will that we die in that state. Even the act of being under control of a substance, a drug, is not the state of grace. That's something sinful. We have no right to give control of our will over to a drug or alcohol, which is a drug. And we, if somebody can toss us a lifeline to bring us back so that the Holy Spirit can, first of all, work within that person to bring them back 
to loving God and knowing how much God loves them. This is very much what God our Lord wants to do. He wants us to die in his peace, not in whatever state a drug would put us. And this lifeline of Narcan and other helps is very much a gift for us to use. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and we use it quite readily and often. And I'm sure that you, you've known people that you lost. You know, they died. That's not some, oh, great, the Holy Spirit took them. No, this is a grief. This mm-hmm. is a sadness. There's a sadness, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely and right. we don't want people to die in, in that way, or, and especially if they have other gifts. This is a very important part, too, that every homeless person has spiritual gifts given them by God, and he wants to use it, and then when they're ready, then he'll right. take them. That they be saved. Right, so yeah. this, this gives them another opportunity, as I said, to, to be, so that they be saved. I mean, so that they, maybe this, this, is, the, this is finally what's going to knock some sense into them, as an example, right? Sometimes. And if it doesn't, it changes their life around, right? Then what a great thing has happened then at that yeah. point in time, right? So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, this, um, and I'm sure Don and William, who called earlier, you have certain gifts that came because you were homeless or using drugs. Just like alcoholics I know, who uh, I'll never forget when I was a newly ordained priest, one of the priests in our community is dying of cancer. Hmm. And he said to me, best thing that ever happened is I became an alcoholic because I never would have learned to trust God unless I hit bottom. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And he became one of the best alcoholism counselors in northern Illinois for years. You know, his recovery was a gift. That's what we want to see with these folks. It's incredible how God works in our lives. I know yeah. it. Yeah. I know yeah. it. That's why he uses sinners like myself. <laughs> and me. We, we uh, want to again mention that's Father Joe's Villages. You can find out more about them by going to my, M-Y dot, neighbor.org and see the great work there and maybe the Lord's calling you to help start a Father's Joe Joe Village in your city. Thank you, Deacon. So good to have you here. Thank you for having me. My delight. And may the Lord bless all of you and lead you in all of your ways by his peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, we can bring Deacon Vargas here and have all the other programs and do all the other shows and put it up to the satellites only because you make it possible. This network is brought to you by you. And as Mother was inspired to to say, we ask that you keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill so that we can pay our bills and keep coming to your home. God bless them. Thank you.